We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of First Peter and the third chapter, the book of First Peter and the third chapter this morning, and I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here Peter writes, beginning in verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness to us today, for bringing us here in your providence to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us, that he would be our guide and our teacher today, and that he would grant us an understanding of this text in such a way that our thinking is changed and our lives are transformed for your glory and for the honor of Jesus Christ. For we ask these things this morning in his precious name. Amen. This morning we want to return to the theme of biblical submission in marriage, which the Apostle Peter addresses in the first seven verses of this third chapter, and to our consideration of the tremendous influence that can be exercised by a submissive wife. The tremendous influence that can be exercised by a submissive wife. Or as we saw last Sunday, a wife who willingly submits to the opportunities that she has to promote the good of her family and to encourage her husband in his duties to lead the family and to advance the truth of the gospel will find herself in a position of great influence. How she actually uses her position of influence will determine in a very large measure not only her own individual happiness, but the vitality and stability of her own marriage and home as well. Whereas Solomon declared in Proverbs 14 and verse 1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. And of course, the wisest of women, the woman who sees the need for wisdom and who asks for it, builds her house in a spirit of submission. In the spirit of submission, for she first submits to the sovereign will of God for her life, 
knowing that God is truly in control of her life and that he has placed her within her marriage and within her family for a very important purpose. Then secondly, the wisest of women willingly submit to their own husbands, for they know that they have been called alongside their husbands, not to be his slave, to be dominated by him, or to merely be his servant, but to be his companion and his helpmeet. And she willingly expects and accepts this role because she not only sees the need for it, but the profound wisdom of God behind it tells her that her own happiness and well-being is dependent upon it. For the submission that God requires from her and the submission that God commands her to willingly to render to her husband is not intended to take something from her. It's not intended to deprive her of her freedoms, but it's intended through God's gracious provision to give her something, to provide her with something, not to deprive her of something, but to provide her with something for through her willingness to accept her calling, which is a high and noble calling, a submissive wife gains the trust. A submissive wife gains the heart of her husband. And she wins the right to influence him and her entire family for God's kingdom and for the good of the gospel. And this is an influence that must not be taken lightly. This is an influence over her husband and family that must be used very wisely. This is an influence that she can and should be constantly cultivating by focusing on the right things. For a wise wife is not only submissive in the ways I've just described, but while she is submissive, she has set her focus on the right priorities. Here in our text this morning, Peter tells us what her true priorities are. What her true priorities are. And as we'll see, she's not focused upon what is merely external. She's not focused on what is merely superficial. Nor does she ground her sense of identity in what the culture thinks or what the culture views as the place of women. But rather, she focuses on what is precious in the sight of God. She pursues genuine holiness without fear. We'll consider how she does this as these instructions from Peter unfold here in verses 3 through 6 in particular. And let's begin by considering here first in verses 3 and 4 where her focus truly lies where her focus truly lies. And Peter reveals here in these two verses that a submissive wife is one who desires to use her spiritual influence for the glory of God, for the good of others, for the advancement of the gospel in whatever place and setting that God has placed her in. For she is focused more upon her inner beauty or what Peter refers to here in verse 4 as the hidden person of her heart than she is about her external or outward appearance. 
For while it is not wrong for her to show concern for her external or outward appearance, it is not to be her primary preoccupation or her primary focus. And of course, the Apostle Peter makes this clear here in verse 3 of chapter 3. Notice what Peter says. He says, do not let your adorning be external, or we could translate this only upon the external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. And no doubt Peter writes these words not because God is opposed or displeased with braided hair or gold jewelry or attractive clothing on wives. In fact, if, if we interpret the passage in that manner, in a strict legalistic fashion, I, I think we truly miss what Peter is saying here. But Peter writes this because there is a temptation that is very common among women to place too much emphasis on their external appearance or upon their outward adornment and to even go so far as to directly tie their sense of self-worth and significance as individuals to how they look and to how they adorn themselves. Of course, our contemporary culture today, which focuses solely on the superficial, which focuses only on the visual, encourages this kind of unbiblical and unhealthy thinking, especially among younger women. And women are constantly being told through the popular culture today that the key to being accepted or the key to finding significance in life is found in looking and dressing in a certain manner or being arrayed in a particular style. And yet these are simply contemporary appeals to get women to satisfy an age-old temptation. And that being to define themselves through external means alone to measure their own significance and self-worth by some superficial means like hairstyles or jewelry or clothing rather than focusing on the hidden person of the heart. Of course, these temptations are not limited to younger women either, although I think the culture especially goes after younger women, but it's not limited to younger women, older women can be tempted in some of these ways as well. For they can be tempted to think that as they grow older and as their external beauties seem at least to them to fade, they are somewhat less significant as persons. And they long for those former days when they felt more beautiful rather than seeing their beauty as the Lord defines it now. And yet Peter's words here are intended to remind our ladies, to remind our wives in particular, that life is about far more important things than outward adornment alone. And I think that most well-taught Christian women and wives know this, but it is important to be reminded of it by Peter here in order to counteract so many of the outright lies that women and wives hear today. 
For God would have women to be good stewards of their bodies, yes, and to be adorned in a way that displays their true spiritual beauty and their godly commitment to genuine modesty. For God would not have women to be preoccupied with their external appearance or to be so focused on caring for their outward adornment that they neglect the cultivation of their own inward spiritual beauty. And of course, this brings us to Peter's words here in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 3, where the Apostle Peter sets forth for his readers the true spiritual beauty that all Christian wives possess and the type of spirit that they should be seeking or endeavoring to have by God's enabling. For notice what Peter writes to Christian wives, but let your adorning or your true covering be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is in God's sight very precious. And thus, rather than focusing primarily upon outward adorning, which is fading, which does not convey the true beauty of what's internal and spiritual, Peter exhorts Christian wives to focus instead, according to verse 4 here, on the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. And of course, in saying this, Peter is not suggesting that every Christian woman is two persons, an external person and an internal person who is entirely different. In fact, we, we should not take Peter's language here too literally, but rather in using this figurative language of the hidden person of the heart, Peter is talking here about the inner life the spiritual life of a Christian woman. And Peter's point here in verse 4 is that a Christian wife, a Christian woman who knows her true beauty, who knows what is pleasing in God's sight is a woman who makes her inner life, her spiritual life, her main priority. She's far more concerned about cultivating her inner life and being adorned with the right spirit than she is about being preoccupied with her outward or external appearance. And of course, again, this is not to say that she cares nothing at all for her outward appearance, because as I stated a few moments ago, she, she does desire to be a good steward of her body. She does want to dress in a way that complements her spiritual focus and priorities, but she fully understands that the hidden person of her heart is the greater priority. It's the greater priority. And why is this? Well, Peter tells us why here in verse 4. Her inner life is her greatest priority because through it, she already possesses an imperishable beauty. Notice that. She already has it. An imperishable beauty. A beauty that is reflective of who she is in Jesus Christ. A spiritual beauty that is already hers because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which has been imputed to her. It's a beauty that will never fade away. Because the true spiritual beauty that a Christian woman or wife possesses is the result of the work of God's Spirit in her life. Of course, those who have the eyes to see it 
do see that beauty, that internal spiritual beauty in her. It is a beauty far more attractive, far more appealing than mere external or physical beauty. In fact, it's interesting to notice that in the section of Scripture that we know is Proverbs 31, which Alan read from this morning, which was written, by the way, to instruct kings on how to find an excellent wife, because men need instruction on how to find and recognize an excellent wife. We're told that a woman who possesses the fear of the Lord, who possesses an inward life, a spiritual reverence for God, is to be far more desired than a wife who only possesses external charm or an attractive physical beauty alone. In fact, it's amazing what we read in Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty, physical beauty, is vain. That's a strong word, vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so a woman, a wife who puts the fear of God first, a woman who has an inner life that shows itself in a healthy respect and reverence for God in everything that she does, has a true inward beauty that is beyond compare. Beyond compare. She is to focus more on how to properly express her inner beauty of the heart than on whether or not she has braided hair or gold jewelry or costly clothing. How is this inward spiritual beauty best expressed? Well, Peter states here, continuing in verse 4, that this inward beauty is most clearly seen when a Christian wife possesses a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. And why are these virtues of gentleness and quietness so important, so characteristic of the spirit that is possessed by a spiritually beautiful woman or wife? Well, first, they are so important because gentleness and quietness, if we really think about it, go hand in hand with true submission. They go hand in hand with true submission. For a submissive wife... Submissive woman is a woman who is gentle, gentle, for her spirit is under God's control. In fact, her spirit is not easily arrested or agitated by life's difficulties or challenges, but rather her spirit responds in true gentleness or tenderness to others out of the wellspring of the gentleness or tenderness that has already been received by her from God. Then notice here in verse 4 that she also is quiet. Quiet. And this too is an expression of her submission. For a truly submissive woman is not one to complain, nor is she one to be combative or argumentative with others. But whenever she speaks... She speaks out of the calmness and the stillness of her own heart. 
the calmness and the stillness of our own heart, which is not troubled or anxious, as we'll see a little bit later in the text, but steady and confident. She knows that there is a controlled wisdom in a quiet spirit, and she often responds to life's varied circumstances with a restful peace rather than with spoken words. Then second, these virtues of gentleness and quietness are characteristic of a submissive woman or wife because she knows that these are the spiritual virtues that please God above all. That please God above all, as Peter states here at the end of verse 4. And so while other women, other wives are trying to cultivate the attention of other people, while other women, other wives are are hoping to impress other people and to receive validation from other people, the submissive woman or the submissive wife is seeking to cultivate and maintain a spirit of gentleness and quietness. How does she cultivate these virtues? Well, no doubt she does so by studying for herself the gentleness and quietness of Jesus Christ. The gentleness and quietness of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ is the example for the submissive woman. Jesus Christ, who under suffering during times of submission, was meek and lowly of heart, expressing a, a gentleness and tenderness of spirit at all times, and who even while he was being railed upon by others falsely, opened not his mouth, but committed himself to his father's safe keeping. This is what a submissive woman or submissive wife does. She realizes that there is virtue in quietly accepting and receiving what God has prepared for her. She doesn't have to question and challenge everything. That's so important to know. To rest in the providence of God, to rest in his care, to trust him to take care of all of life's matters. Then secondly, she cultivates these two virtues, gentleness and quietness, by occupying her own thoughts, by guarding her state of mind with reminders from God's word of why she need not be unsettled, why she need not be disquieted in her spirit, because all things between her and her God are well because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she can rest contented, fully assured, spiritually quieted in the knowledge of her complete acceptance before God, which is not contingent upon how she braids her hair. It's not contingent upon what jewelry she wears or what kind of fashion she pulls out of her closet on a given day, but on what she already possesses in love through Jesus Christ who gave himself for her. And so first of all, we see here from our sermon text this morning that a Christian wife, a submissive wife who understands what submission is and who desires to use her influence for the glory of God is not focused on what is external 
but upon what is internal and spiritual. And she commits herself to the cultivation of that spirit, which in God's sight is precious indeed. Then with respect to our second major point this morning, which flows from Peter's admonition here in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3, we see that a submissive Christian wife is also a woman who fully endeavors to live a holy, hopeful, and purposeful life. A holy, hopeful, and purposeful life under God's care and protection rather than being anxious rather than being fearful. Where the Apostle Peter declares here in verses 5 and 6 of 1 Peter chapter 3, notice these words, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So here the Apostle Peter encourages Christian wives in a, in a very positive and practical way to consider the example of other godly submissive wives who went before them in faith and who traveled successfully and happily themselves down the path of submission and who in doing so learned that by being obedient they could live without any fear, even when they were seemingly frightening things that had to be faced. For Peter declares here that as they went about their calling, they did so with a commitment to true holiness and a firm hope in God. Notice the language here. Peter states at the start of verse 5, For this is how the holy women used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And in reflecting back on the lives of faithful and submissive wives in the past who used their spiritual influence wisely and who impacted the lives of their families for the kingdom of God, Peter urges wives today to pursue the same things also. Namely, this is what I was getting at, true holiness and hope. True holiness and hope. For without true holiness of life, a wife cannot be an example before her family of what a godly, submissive woman under the leading of God's Spirit is like. And she won't have the impact that she desires to have for God. And therefore, if wives desire to influence those that they dearly love by way of godliness, they they must be holy. They must be holy themselves. And of course, this means that they cannot neglect to cultivate their spiritual lives. That's the point here. They cannot be neglectful. They cannot neglect their spiritual development, but rather they must nurture and develop the hidden person of the heart. They must Seek their God in prayer and in his word daily. They must not become so preoccupied with the tasks and the demands of their external lives that they spend no time whatsoever truly developing their spiritual lives. No, if wives are to exercise influence over their families, they must not fail to be holy. 
Not only that, they must not fail to be hopeful as well. For so often, women fail to express hope in their own circumstances. And this can have a huge negative impact upon their families. I want you to think about this with me this morning. For if a wife loses hope in God, if a wife loses hope that God is being good to her, hope that God will use her in her place where he has placed her, she cannot do lasting good in her husband's life. She cannot do lasting good in her family. In fact, her husband and her family needs her to be hopeful. She needs to be a beacon of hope. Therefore, it is absolutely critical that Christian wives remain hopeful today, that their hope, that your hope, ladies, in God directs you to be obedient to your Christian calling. In fact, Peter mentions here in verse 6 the example of Sarah. This is a fascinating example. Who through holiness and hope obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Or just think about all that the woman Sarah went through. You remember reading through the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham, don't you? Think about all that Sarah went through. Following her husband faithfully and obediently as he followed God through many travels and trials in pursuit of a land and in fulfillment of a promise that Abraham did not yet possess. You think that the family of Abraham ever said to him, are we there yet? Is it coming soon, Father Abraham? You think about the opportunities that his family and Sarah in particular would have had to lose hope after those many years of wandering in that way, and yet, Abraham hoped in God, and so did Sarah, his wife. In fact, we don't know the whole story. Scripture doesn't tell us everything that happened, but I would think that we could use our holy imaginations for a moment to say that there certainly were times when Sarah encouraged the hope of Abraham, that God would indeed give Abraham the things that he had promised, that there was, in fact, a fulfillment coming. We know that Sarah was a hopeful woman, that she shared in Abraham's hope because she faithfully supported Abraham by her hope, and because she did, they both received the promise of God. In fact, it's interesting to note that in Hebrews chapter 11, Sarah is mentioned, not, not just Abraham, but Sarah is mentioned in verse 11 for being one who considered God faithful and for trusting God rather than living in fear. For Sarah trusted God to lead her. She trusted God to use her for his glory and for the good of her husband and for her family. And needless to say, this is how you wives, you Christian wives, you submissive Christian wives, 
need to live today, living in submission to your own husband and serving your families with holiness and hope. In fact, Peter closes this section in verse 6 by urging wives to see themselves as Sarah's children by following her example. For when it comes down to the bottom line, and sometimes we like to hear the bottom line, right? When it comes down to the bottom line, wives, there are two ways you can live your life. This is clear from this passage. One, you can live your life in fear. You can live your life frightened by everything and ex exercising very little influence at all. And there are some wives who live lives like that. Hopeless lives, frightened lives, exercising very little real spiritual influence. Or you can be like Sarah. You can be like Sarah and be a woman of faith and of steadfast Christian hope. Wives, may you leave a rich spiritual legacy behind you. May your husband praise you in the gates for your holiness for your hope. May your children rise up and call you blessed because of your holiness and your hope. Christian men, may we help our wives to fulfill their callings by praying for them and nurturing them and supporting them. And that begins, men, by being the kind of men and husbands that God has called us to be. God willing, we'll take up this topic as we consider verse 7 next week. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today, and we would ask that you would speak to us by means of your word and spirit today about these things we've discussed today. And I know that I've addressed through this text this morning Christian women, Christian wives in particular today about the need for continued submission, about the need for a gentle and quiet spirit, about the need for holiness and faith today, but what has been spoken applies to all of us today. Father, I pray especially this morning for anyone here who is outside of Jesus Christ who does not know about the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would show them through the work of your Spirit their need for Jesus and grant them faith and repentance today. Father, I pray that we as a congregation would also be holy and hopeful in all that we do. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the influence that you give us within our, our lives and in our families, and in the community at large, and help us to, to take that influence seriously and to cultivate it and to nurture it for the glory of God and for the good of others. We ask you, Lord, to work within us that work that, that only you can do and that you would instill within us a holy and hopeful spirit today, that we would be determined to cultivate the inner hidden person of the heart that we would be motivated today to be 
faith-filled, hopeful people, believing in your promises, being certain that they will be fulfilled so that we will be faithful on the path that you have appointed us to, even when the path seems long and difficult to follow. Give us grace today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.